0: Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Blissful Biz Podcast. This week I have a very, very special guest, Elie van Fossen, better known as the Journey Junkie. Ellie is a once corporate marketing girl turned successful yoga teacher, chakra coach, retreat leader, small business owner, and full-time traveler with her husband via a sailboat, which I am so jealous of. She's really living the dream, but right now she's stranded in Florida due to the pandemic, which means she has great internet connection and time to work, and that's how I got her on the podcast. Yay! Ellie primarily teaches yoga online through YouTube courses and a monthly membership called the Body Mind Soul Studio and she has been so successful over the last years. I know she's a huge inspiration for many yoga teachers out there. But she didn't start out where she is now. And I think this is important to always get back to when you feel intimidated by someone else's success or like you're never going to get where they are. In our interview, Ellie shares what she did when she started out, how her business slowly grew and what she wishes she would have done differently. YouTube is a big factor in her success and she also shares some amazing tips how to use YouTube as a yoga teacher. I can't wait for you to meet her. Hi there, Ellie. It's so nice to have you here. Welcome to the Blissful Biz Bliss Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. Um Yes, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your journey, your background, what you do.
1: Yeah, great. Um, My name is Ali Van Fossen. I am the soul behind The Journey Junkie, which is an online yoga community that really aims to help people use yoga as a transformative tool. It started over five years ago as a travel blog. The travel blog morphed into a yoga blog, which morphed into a YouTube channel, which morphed into online courses a monthly membership, and in-person retreats, and a multiple six-figure business. So um, the business now allows my husband and I to travel full-time. We purchased a sailboat. In the last two years, we've been sailing the world together. We moved our boat, or we sailed our boat, from the Caribbean all the way over to New Zealand. So it's been a incredibly fulfilling adventure, or should I say journey <laughs> thus far to be teaching yoga and teaching yoga in the online space. You are such an
0: inspiration. I mean, I use your examples or landing pages of what you do in my um, courses all the time.
1: <laughs> ah, <that's> so <laughs> yeah. oh my, God, so my students know you feel really, good. really well. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for doing
0: that. My students know about you, definitely. And, um, yeah, so, um, you know, like for a lot of yoga teachers, I know that from my students, it's really hard. You see those people who are so successful already and you don't see what it took them to get where they are. And then they feel oh my God, I'm never going to be able to do what she is doing and um, who would want to buy my course or do my yoga video training because there are so so many amazing um, things already out there. Can you share a little bit about what did the beginning stages look like for your yoga career and any roadblocks or mental barriers at the start that you had to overcome?
1: Absolutely. And you know what? I'm going through this same cycle right now in my own business. I find that anytime I'm about to do something new where I'm feeling really uncomfortable, I start to look around at everyone else and start comparing myself. And I begin to spin my wheels and get stuck in my head. And I feel like I'm not good enough. And how could I ever... um, have what she or he has. And to be transparent, I'm trying to move into the space that you're in, which is teaching yoga teachers, online marketing and business. I mean, I have a degree in marketing, so, but I've had this idea for two years and I've been scared shitless of it. Like I don't, like it's some big giant furry animal in the corner and I don't want to touch it. And finally, I feel like I'm Snapping out of that daze of comparison and not feeling good enough. And, you know, last night I made a list of everyone who's in the online yoga marketing space. And there's only like 10 people that I actually know of. And I encourage yoga teachers to do the same thing in the online yoga space because there's not that many people compared to other markets that are doing online yoga. And well, shall I say. And so there's so much room, like the pie can expand infinitely. But when I look at some other markets, like teaching online market, online marketing, just as it is, you know, there's hundreds of voices in that space. And I don't know how you feel about that, Suzanne, but I think our space has so much more room to grow. And also just like a yoga studio there's tons of teachers on the schedule and everyone's going to have that favorite teacher. I was just speaking to my mom about her yoga studio and she's like, oh, I don't go to her class because I don't like her teaching style, but I go to her class and her class. And that's the same situation online. People are going to be attracted to your voice, your teaching style, your cadence, your rhythm, and they're going to want to come back for more. And we all know consistency builds rapport. It builds trust. And so over time, you create that connection, you create that trust, you build from the ground up, you have to online, which is the hard part. And, um, but then your people are ready. They're ready for more. They want something more than a YouTube class with a bunch of ads on it. And they want something that's been thoughtfully crafted with a lot of intention. And that's the stuff you pay for, or you charge for and people pay for it. So. New people, I want you to know those feelings for me personally don't go away. Those feelings of fear, those feelings of not being good enough, of comparison. I believe what happens through the process is you, just like in yoga, you start to develop more awareness around them. Like, oh, here's that feeling again, here's that thought again, and you develop tools to move through them a little bit quicker than three years ago. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, I love that. Oh, my God, you're going to be amazing teaching marketing. I love Uh, it. I think it's great that there are more people offering it. And then, you know, like the more people see this kind of offers, um, they become open to it, to working with someone. And then they find someone that they can relate with and that, you know, so that they can connect with. Mm-hmm. Yes, and mm-hmm. I'm sure you have, um, uh, yes, you have so much to share. You have so much knowledge and expertise now. Over the, yes.
1: Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I'm like, okay, it's time to share it with other people in a business marketing capacity um, while still delivering yoga to people from the comfort of their home. Yeah.
0: That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you get started, how did
1: you find your niche and decide what offerings to create? Yeah. So niching down, you know, I've really struggled with that in my business. And I think that's where I'm now hitting a roadblock is I've notoriously or historically created content for every type of yoga practitioner. And I think because I got started five years ago, I was able to do that. There wasn't as many people in the online space yet, but now it is more competitive and you really do need to think about who you are serving. And that is the way I'll be pivoting in the future is being much more intentional with who it is I'm serving, right? Now let's take the example of a YouTube channel we want to think of a funnel, right? So this top down, it's wide at the top, bringing people more narrower into your content. So at the very top, we all know in yoga, the general population wants a 30 minute vinyasa workout style class, or they want like a 30 minute gentle yoga class for relaxation. However, those are the most popular videos, and so they're very hard to compete with on YouTube or in a blog post. So, But you still need some of those general yoga classes to pull people in. And then in the middle of the funnel, what's something a little bit closer to your specialty? And at the bottom of the funnel, you'll be creating videos that are very niched. So if you specialize in restorative yoga or a certain type of meditation or pranayama technique, that would be your narrowest your narrowest scope of classes, but that's where you would be putting a content upgrade or a freebie or a lead gen and trying to bring them into some kind of free challenge or whatever you have to offer and then eventually selling them on your niched down course. I think it's taken me a long time to understand in the online world that, and not even just in the online world, the regular world too people buy things to solve their problems. And I was just listening to a podcast and they said, you know, if you had knee issues, you wouldn't go to a general practitioner or doctor. You would find someone who specializes in the knee or on the knee. Um, and so same, same, right? We can definitely attract people through general offerings, but at the end of the day, you'll gain way more traction And you'll see a lot more progress in your business, which will make you feel fulfilled. And like, it'll give you the energy to keep moving forward through all of the challenges and that mindset that we talked about. And then you'll see, oh, okay, people are responding and they are wanting my services because I'm offering something that solves a specific problem. So I'm struggling with that, Suzanne, of pivoting my business and finding a way to make it more niche and really take people on that customer journey. Whereas the past few years, I've been more like, here's a bunch of yoga and that's worked. But I think it's the compilation of being online for over five years and, you know, SEO building and just popularity and views building on YouTube. Yeah.
0: Yes. Your YouTube channel is amazing. And I think you shared before that it's like a big factor of your success. Mm -hmm. that you started really creating really high-quality, free yoga videos and before you ever thought about selling something, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I was making YouTube videos for at least two years before I had the inclination and the guts to charge someone for my services. But yeah, YouTube was... An amazing tool and it still is an amazing tool for yoga teachers meditation teachers pranayama teachers um, to build their exposure yeah to gain more exposure and build a community you know I was doing a lot of yoga blogs for a long time like five poses to stretch your hips and ten yoga legging brands and five yoga props you need in your home and I started seeing a few girls getting on YouTube some other yoga bloggers. And it, it makes sense because our, you know, our niche of yoga is interactive and there's only so much you can communicate through a static blog post. So I, I, I had to force myself to get on YouTube, even though it was terrifying in the beginning, I had to do it. Yeah. There was just no other way.
0: So interesting because you saw, I mean, obviously you look so confident now, in your videos so people think oh for her it's easy right but of course it wasn't in the beginning when you just got started and you didn't know about what
1: equipment you needed and all those stuff how to even get Mm -hmm. it up there (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and it still isn't easy sometimes sometimes I'm just not in that teaching flow and my husband and I will film over and over again, the intro, like it'll take me seven cuts to do a two minute intro. And sometimes we'll film halfway through the class and I'll just say, cut, this sucks. Like my cues suck. I'm not into this. I'm not present. And we'll have to film it all over again. So I still have those moments on camera where I'm feeling really misaligned and I, am I or, or we'll finish a class and I'll be like, so here's, here's a really, some really good advice you guys you have to take imperfect action, and I heard once from Brooke Castillo, and she has got a podcast, and she's a life coach that she does B minus work, and um, I really adopted that that mantra because I think we have to take imperfect action. So sometimes I'll film a class, and it I know it's not my best class, but it's free. So. The sound, the sound quality is good. The video quality is good. But my, my personal quality wasn't up to standards, but it goes up anyway because it's free content and not everything's going to be A+. Plus. So I started to adopt that B minus uh, mantra and it's really served me. Like just get it out there.
0: Mm-hmm. That's that's right. Yeah, I have the same um, approach when it comes to my blog posts, and even now to my podcast episodes. So I don't do seven recordings of a podcast episode or something. I just like it has to go out there. And uh, if you don't publish something, you're not going to help anyone. But no. even and B minus, it might be B minus for you, but it's probably not for anyone doing the class or watching it or listening it.
1: Yes. Yes. You know, you're right. So we're always in our head about that. Uh, Totally. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I want to share about YouTube. I think some people get this a little bit confused, the difference between, well, should I be on Instagram more? Should I be putting up Pinterest images? Should I be focusing on my Facebook lives or YouTube? And I think what we all need to really understand and make a clear distinction between is that Instagram and Facebook are a social media platform, whereas Pinterest and YouTube run off Search engine optimization. So people can literally search and find you. Whereas in Instagram, you're really just hoping for the best case scenario, right? I mean, maybe you'll have an algorithm match and you'll go a little bit viral with a post or someone will click on a hashtag and you're served up first, but it's pretty at random. Whereas you can be very intentional with how you're titling your videos the text you're putting in the descriptions, everything can be very intentional so that your shares on Pinterest or YouTube, but for us really YouTube specifically, they're gonna just continue to gain traction and gain more views over time. The content never goes away. It's this amazing content library you're creating that is searchable. So, and also remember Google owns YouTube, so your search results for your videos also show up on the homepage of YouTube or on Google when they're searching for you. So I really want to push yoga teachers to stop focusing so much on Instagram or even Facebook. It's important to have a presence, but honestly, I've been off Instagram for almost six months now as the recording of this podcast, because I'm just over it. I feel like I, it's a time sucker for me. I find myself comparing myself. So I'm really head down focusing on what's working in my business right now. And it's not Instagram. To try and get someone to click out of that app is like trying to break them out of a fort because Instagram has designed it to be so incredibly beautiful and visually appealing that to get someone to actually click out of Instagram and go to what you're offering is very difficult. But when they're typing in and searching for an exact problem into Google, help me with my knee pain, yoga to help knee pain. Let's just use that example. If you title your stuff correctly, it's going to show up in the search results and you don't have to do anything, right? So I really want yoga teachers to remember that and start focusing on those platforms that are searchable.
0: That's such a good point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's make this actionable. So when you are were a new yoga teacher and wanting to start a YouTube channel, Um. so yeah, what would you do? What's your roadmap? <laughs>
1: Yeah. So uh, let's make this actionable and keep it also simple. I'm a big fan of clarity. So number one, I would do my best to invest in a camera that doesn't have a max on recording time. Certain, most cameras stop recording at 30 minutes. And most of you, I imagine, will be recording yourself. So I used to record myself and I would put a Buddha statue on my mat to focus the camera <laughs> on the Buddha, and I would hit, you know, record, run over, move the Buddha out of the way, and sit down and start. And I would have a timer kind of in the background just so I could see how long my class was going. But could you imagine if my camera stopped at 30 minutes and I had to be aware of that? And I'm in a difficult pose now, I have to make this overlay cut, as you might know, Suzanne. That's such a pain in the butt. So, number one tip is find a camera that has unlimited recording time. And I can send you some, Suzanne. I have them and a list. Ooh, that would be amazing. Let's create a little freebie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can send you a list. Um, Those cameras are going to be a little bit more expensive, but listen, you're going to get that return on investment. Investing in yourself and your business is so important. And it's something that I've had to reckon with multiple times, but anytime I do it, it's come back tenfold. So you're going to need a camera that has unlimited recording time. You're also going to want to have a mic, a lapel mic, Okay. So something that hooks onto your body, because in the beginning we used to use a mic that attached to the camera, but if the camera's way back there and you're in child's pose and your head is down, I used to shout from my child's pose, but child's pose is supposed to be calming. <laughs> but the only way for the microphone to hear me in like downward dog or child's pose or shavasana was to shout. So we had that for a few months in our first videos, and then we invested in a a lapel mic. So that's going to hook onto you and your outfit and um, then be very cognizant of what's maybe rubbing on that microphone because that will screw your audio real quick. So make sure there's nothing in the way of the microphone. I know that sounds like an elementary tip, but we've had many a class that sounds really bad because I have some kind of thing rubbing on that mic. My other tip is to come up with a small intro and outro. Remember that on YouTube, I think like 60% of my YouTube traffic are non-subscribers to my channel, which is pretty wild. But that means I have this golden opportunity in the introduction of the video and the outro of the video to market myself. Say hello, introduce them to my channel and tell them about whatever freebie I have in the description below. Also a big mistake I made in the beginning is I would ramble on for like three to four minutes in my intro, people will X out really quick. People have the, you know, the, what, what is the word I'm looking for? Attention span of like a rabbit, you know? So get it under like a minute and 30 seconds, whatever it is you're trying to communicate. And also at the end, keep it quick, but make it actionable. So kind of come up with a little script for your intro and outro, and in the beginning, you don't need a freebie, but remember, YouTube is evergreen, meaning those videos will be there forever until you delete them. So it would behoove you to come up with something, even something really small, to give away for free to start building your email list, right? And um, lastly, my My tip for YouTube, which is something I'm like just coming around to, and I also had to reckon with is you have to remember, like I said, it's searchable. So in the beginning, I would name my YouTube uh, videos, things like yoga class to awaken consciousness and connect within. Who do you think is searching that? (laughs) I wish people were searching that. Well, yoga teachers might. And so I've noticed that the yoga teachers that really blow up on YouTube are the ones who use these very watered down, unfortunately, watered down titles for their videos. And the reason is because the general population, that's what they're searching. You know, let's say you do a whole series on the koshas. No one knows what the koshas are. And so they're not going to be searching yoga class for the manomaya kosha. But I used to name my videos that, and I wonder why I got no views. <laughs> so when you're brainstorming your content, remember as yoga teachers on the schedule at a yoga studio, it wouldn't say that either. You would just weave that theme into your, into your yoga sequence in a subtler way. And that's the same thing we want to do on YouTube. We're going to keep it this general name that would be on a yoga schedule, but then we're going to weave our more meaningful theme into the class without having to name it that. And I I really struggled with that. I, I kind of was pissed that I had to do it that way and people weren't attracted to, you know, those subtler things that we learn about in yoga teacher training and these really important yoga philosophy concepts. But I finally realized, like, I finally got it. <laughs> many years later. So those are my three tips. Get a camera with unlimited um, recording time. Come up with an intro and an outro and a freebie that you can put in the description below and name your classes, something that is searchable. And also a really great tool is TubeBuddy. TubeBuddy integrates with YouTube and on the side, when you're searching for videos, it's got this amazing barometer telling you, how great those keywords are and how they're ranking on YouTube. And so it's a really helpful tool that I invested in, again, later than I wish. But yoga, new yoga teachers, just get it. Just get it. Watch all their tutorial videos, and it's going to massively help you plan out your classes and make sure your keywords are being searched.
0: What was the name again? TubeBuddy. TubeBuddy. I'm going to add the link to the show notes, guys. Mm-hmm. Yes oh my god this was really really helpful thank you for Mm -hmm. that i love
1: those tips yeah wait i have one more suzanne (laughs) uh yoga challenges which i know you use challenges quite a bit um challenges are what really built my youtube channel in the beginning and they're what really built my email list so using mini challenges three to five days maybe doing one a year or one you know two a year if you're feeling really motivated one every quarter um but those will build your channel and remember if it's a challenge make a freebie connected to it get give give them a reason to sign up like oh you get a calendar or you get a little workbook to go along with this challenge and you got to get it in the description below and give me your email in return You know, so this is an exchange here. So, challenges really help build it. And now, I mean, our last challenge was like three years ago. We filmed it and we still use it, we still run ads to it. So, that kind of content is evergreen. And when you put in the work in the beginning, it's going to support your business for years after.
0: No, challenge can be a great freebie. Yeah. I use it to um, launch courses. Really, and I think it works really well for online courses as well to launch. It is what I teach my students in
1: my mm-hmm. program, yeah. And and I did the same for some of my challenges. They were lead-ins to course launches, but then the challenge stayed live on my YouTube channel just as a way to continue building my email list and community. So you do the
0: challenge on YouTube, not you don't, I don't know, send it out by email every
1: single day? Or how does it work? So So I've done both. I've done... Now, I don't put it on YouTube. It's with um, JW Player I use. I used to use Vimeo, but I now use JW Player as my private video streaming service. So now I send it out via email and it's more exclusive. Like you have to be signed up to get the videos. But in the beginning, because I I didn't want to double my workload and create videos for a private challenge and videos for my YouTube channel, I would publish, let's say it was a seven-day challenge, and I did this with my tracker challenge years ago. I would publish that video on that morning when the email went out. And so it was live, been going live for seven days. And then right after the challenge ended, we launched my BMS Detox 21-Day Yoga Course. And it worked like gold. And then the great part is that challenge stayed up and we continue to use it. But that was when I was trying to build. So I think it's a really good tactic to build, to not make it so exclusive in the beginning, but you drip it out over the span of the challenge as that challenge goes live. Yeah.
0: No, that's amazing. I mean, a love, 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 love that you had so much success with your programs and i mean you have how many online courses two or
1: one or and a membership right mm-hmm. i have two and the first one was my signature one and we launched it three times and uh each time it made around 70k in sales and it's an open cart closed cart model so those weren't that was not an evergreen course The other course is more of a power yoga program and, um, around a 50 K launch and that's more evergreen. And now we're really trying to tweak that evergreen. It's not as successful as we'd like it to be. So we want that to become a passive revenue stream. So I'm working on building out a really nice funnel that brings them towards that offer. And then, really, what we focus on is the membership site. And that's where most of my energy is and in person retreats. Yeah, that's the last two years have been the membership site and in person retreats.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Was there a magic moment for you when you realized that your blog could or might become a full time gig? And I mean, you've worked
1: towards it, um, replacing your income, right? Mhm Oh my gosh, yeah, I still remember that magic moment. <laughs> it was my first course called the Body Mind Soul Detox and it's 21 Days. And you know, the first course you make, I think you you throw in everything and the kitchen sink. So I, there's too much content in there, but it was priced at 129, and now the price is higher, and I don't I actually don't sell it anymore, but um, it was a three-week launch. And we made $75,000 in three weeks with, I think, 10K in ad spend.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I can't believe you spent so much in ads in your first launch already. Wow.
1: Well, you know, my husband and I were both working full time and we don't have children yet. So we really felt like, okay, this is our baby and we have the capability to put, to invest our salaries, our full time salaries back into this business and also, you know, take some risks. And I, I ran all those ads myself. I did, a, I did a course on running Facebook ads back then and I figured it out. And yeah, those ads were all run by us. And now we have an ads manager, but there's so much you can learn. And I know it's overwhelming in the beginning and you'll get there. Um, but yeah, when I closed that course, I, was, I couldn't believe it. I mean, for, for reference, at the time, my annual marketing salary was 56,000 U.S., So I made more than my whole year's salary in three weeks. It was mind-blowing. And that was the moment I was like, okay, I'm quitting my shitty cubicle (laughs) job. (laughs) But I didn't quit yet. I stayed around for like six or seven more months because then I got kind of nervous. Like, was that a one-time thing? Can I repeat that? I don't know. So I got a little nervous and I stayed and I stayed until we launched again, that course again, six months later. And again, it brought in about 70K and I was like, okay, I believe in myself now. (laughs) Let's do this.
0: I love that you said that you learned it yourself. I think that's so important, even if you want to outsource later on, but just to know, have that knowledge about Facebook ads. I mean, that, so that's helpful if you want to hire someone, if you have no idea what they are doing, how you're going to control them. And I mean, it's still your money that you're handing over for
1: them to invest for you. That is such so. a good point because when she sends me those reports, I know what those reports are saying. And when we're talking ad strategy, I know what she's talking about. So I do think, and you know, I'm sure many people here know, or you do, Amy Porterfield. She talks a lot about Facebook ads and some of her podcasts and how she highly recommends that you run them yourself first, because just like you said, you won't know what they're talking about and you won't know if that Facebook ads manager is doing a good job. Because it's really a foreign world. So it is something that there's a high learning curve. But once you do it once, you know the lingo, you know the terminology, and you won't feel like, okay, what is this person I just hired talking about?
0: (laughs) Yes. And it's the same with, I don't know, with your website. I don't think everybody has to build their own website, but you have to know a little bit your way around it. I mean, I heard from yoga teachers that their boyfriend doing their website, then they left and they didn't even have the login data. (laughs) So.
1: Oh, yeah. That's oh, a yeah. nightmare. Yeah. that That is a huge nightmare. I totally agree with you. I do, I do think you need to have a working knowledge of what's happening in your business for that scenario. If someone leaves and walks away, it's yours. So have a working knowledge. Yeah. Keep control without being controlling.
0: <laughs> oh <laughs> my God, it's always like we have to be so much.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, that is the hardest part about being online. And I still struggle with it. There's so many places that you can gain exposure and be seen and share your message. And um, it can become all consuming in that aspect. So it's it's. I really want to, you know, communicate to yoga teachers getting online try and focus on one channel. And by one channel, I mean, where are you sharing your message? And for us, I think a podcast or YouTube is the best place to be. Yeah, I think a blog is great too, but you should have a blog anyway. That's that's like the foundation, a website with a blog component. That needs to happen no matter what.
0: Yeah, you've and been really consistent in putting your YouTube videos in blog posts as well, right?
1: Yes. The we, you know, we've come out with a weekly YouTube video pretty much for the last three years. I've taken a few breaks here and there. And that YouTube video always gets embedded into a blog post that has a Pinterest image. And you know, you guys, I've gone through seasons where I'm like, ugh, I can't bring myself to make a Pinterest image. And so like 10 classes will get published without a Pinterest image. It's okay. Like it, the world will not fall down. Just move forward. Move forward, keep making progress, keep making mistakes, you know, fail forward. You can't be perfect. What is most important for me? What is most important is that I'm building consistency and trust with my YouTube community. And so, the YouTube video is more important even sometimes than the blog post. But yes, you're right. We always have a blog post that goes live with that video. And so, when I send out my weekly newsletter to my email list, I'm not sending them to YouTube. I'm sending them the link to my blog post where the video is embedded because it's important that we really build this trust. Like, hey, this is me online. This is my space. And then you can just click to expand the YouTube video. I don't want to send you to the YouTube page. That's really distracting. There's tons of stuff going on on the YouTube page. And if you don't have a website and you want to just get started with YouTube, do that and then get your website up. So it's okay to work backwards.
0: Yes, you just have to get started. And I think consistency is really, really key as well. I mean, I have the same. I've just been blogging now for nearly three years every single week. And now since January with the podcast. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of a promise to myself and to my audience that I'm mm-hmm. there, that I'm present. and
1: It's like you t- showing up for your yoga class on the schedule. <laughs> you, can't, you can't keep getting a sub every week. You'll get fired, and the people will be really let down that come to rely on you as their yoga teacher. It's the same thing in the online world.
0: Yes, that's a good point. That's a really good comparison.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, do you have any um, productivity ships, tips, ships
1: <laughs> that you can <laughs> share with we us? We do own a ship. Her name is Alfie. Uh, our sailboat. Okay. So productivity. Yes. And I actually got these from my husband because he used to be in construction as a project manager. And some really great tips from him are choose only three things to accomplish every day and prioritize those three things in order of importance. And then get a planner. I've really been loving the boss babe planner. I don't know if you follow them on Instagram, but There are two girls and they just came out with a planner. And what I love about it is, A, it's a 90-day planner, which is smart on them. It's a really great way to have recurring revenue. Um, But it's a daily planner and it has, these are my top three goals. And then beneath it, it has to-dos. And what I do every day is I write my top three things that if I could get those three things done, I would finish my day and feel really whole, really fulfilled, really proud. Um, and then on the to-do list, I write out everything else that needs to get done in my business, literally everything. I mean, if, if, if it's too much, I'll say, see Asana project, you know? And as the days go by, if I get those three things done, when I'm writing out my to-do list for the next day, I look at that like sub to-do list from the day before and say okay from that list what are the next three things but then i transfer that list over and rewrite it all over again the next day
0: i used to so, do everything on paper i
1: do everything on paper yeah <laughs> i still have a google calendar but of course but yeah i'm a total paper person and i transfer that list every single day and what tends to happen is if you're procrastinating on something if you've written that same to do for like 18 days now you start to get really fed up with yourself you're like okay What's going on here? Why have I written this thing 18 times now? Let's just get this shit over with. And so that's what's happening for me. Something I keep putting on the back burner. Once I've rewritten it so many times, I'm like, okay, I can't stand this anymore. We're going to get this done today. And so, three things choose three things. I'm still a paper girl. I love the Boss Babe Planner. And, um, you know it's also really important for me to take breaks during the day when you're working from home and staring at your computer all day I have to go for walks um, I love yoga glow the online yoga membership site and I'll do like a midday pranayama or a midday meditation or a midday 20 minute yin I'll, I usually keep it to like 30 minutes or under when I take my breaks so I'll do something for some kind of infusion of energy or to decrease maybe some tension or anxiety I've built while working through a project. So that's another productivity tip. When I try to just hammer through it and I'm like, no, this has to get done, um, I find that it makes it worse.
0: Yes, you can do that for a day, but then you feel so much worse the next day. That is for my experience if i or if I work really, really late, then yeah, I get nothing done the next day, so what's the point? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but I yes. mean yeah, I've been working in advertising for years with so many crazy long nights and weekends. I don't want to do that to myself anymore now that I'm working for myself, I'm a much better boss to myself,
1: Yes, yeah, and you know the nights that I do stay up late, like maybe I'll stay up till like eleven. And then, of course, my personality is that then my head is spinning with marketing ideas. And so if I don't sleep till like, I don't know, 1230, one in the morning, I give myself grace and I let myself sleep in the next day because I'm my own boss, <laughs> you know? So I wake up at like nine and I don't start till 10. And yeah, it's not a great cycle to be in, but I also am pretty compassionate with myself in that way. And I used to not be, I used to be like a very dictator-like like, you stayed up late. (laughs) (laughs) You have to get up early and be tired. And I realized, like, wait a minute, I built my own life. I'm my own boss. I don't have to be anywhere. And I like live in pajamas and yoga leggings. Yeah, but
0: living on the boat must be really forcing you to... To unplug. I mean, obviously, when you with the internet connection missing, and yeah, that's probably. I have all my life in asana, but that wouldn't work. This was already a nightmare when I was on my camper
1: van trip. You're gonna have to go to paper. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, living on the boat has been uh, absolutely beautiful and life changing. Being that disconnected, and it's funny because this whole COVID nineteen. Um, Social distancing, stay at home. I keep seeing all these memes, like when your life was the exact same before the pandemic, and that's that's me and my husband because the last two years we've been socially distancing um, and we'll go quite a long time like without talking to other people or seeing other people, we're just not leaving the boat if we're in a really remote anchorage and we have all the groceries we need. Um, I mean, we'll just swim around the boat for like a week and hang out on the boat and lounge and read and work and listen to podcasts. So my life was very socially distanced already and isolated. So I kind of had like a training on how to handle all this. Um, But no, the boat has been incredible. And But just like everything, we need balance. So we're trying to do it half of the year and then find a home here in Florida for the other half and have a little bit more. Feel a bit more rooted.
0: That's a beautiful plan. Yes, that's a beautiful plan. I know how that feels like to be rooted again. I'm quite happy that I have my apartment now in Germany too. It's
1: so nice to have your stuff and to be able to like do a yoga class and sprawl out and have props everywhere and have your kitchen. I mean, it's just nice. It's so nice.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. So thank you so much for your time today.
1: You're really and sharing
0: welcome. your story and your expertise. Is there anything I should have asked but didn't?
1: Um, I'm looking at my notes. You know, the one thing I also want to share with yoga teachers before we go is to think about, and this is something I see you're doing in your business, and I'm just now coming around to it, but really focusing on the journey of a customer that would be working with you. And how are you building that relationship with them? You know, for you, you've got this free Facebook group, and then you have a membership site, and then you have a signature course. And I see now you kind of have a mastermind slash slash coaching program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when your customer comes into your, you know, your sphere of the online world, they have a way to keep working with you and progressing with you and building that relationship. And as such, their business is going to grow too. Well, let's think about our yoga students and the journey we're taking them on what is that journey? And for a long time, I've been ignoring carving out what my customer's journey is. And I've been creating just kind of one-off offerings. And so if I could tell my younger self, you know, five, six years ago when I got started one thing, it would be that like map out just a very loose journey of where, what you want to create in maybe the next decade or five years of your business. 5 to 10 years of your business right and where do you see them going and how do you see them progressing with you as a yoga student or whatever whatever you're going to be offering online so that's that's just a little tip i want to share with you and dream big like make that 10 year plan are you leading them into 200 hour yoga teacher trainings are you leading them into retreats are you leading them into some kind of life transformation mastermind because you're also a life coach and you're incorporating yoga into that too Um, But really be more intentional and allow yourself to take time to vision and get out of the business so you can work on the business. And I know a lot of people say that and I've always like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I have to make a Pinterest image. (laughs) 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 I need to write an email. I need to film a yoga class. (laughs) But it is so important that you sign up for workshops and you're part of communities like Suzanne's and... You're in a cohort of people that are helping you vision about your business because it's really easy to get caught up in the tasks and think like, okay, I'm making progress, but eventually you've got to zoom out and really look at your business through a bigger lens and think about that journey you want to be taking people through, which is only going to grow your business and your personal journey. So that's my last, my last parting message.
0: I love that. <laughs> I love that.
1: No, that's beautifully said. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thanks for having me. This is wonderful. So where can people go to learn more about you? Thejourneyjunkie.com. And that's also my YouTube handle and my Instagram handle. However, listening to your recent podcast about how you should name your business, (laughs) I will be rebranding my business by the end of the year, probably to alivanfossen.com. Ooh, I love it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm. T- I'm. I'm. Um. I've outgrown my alias, the Journey Junkie. Um. So it'll be. Re- it'll redirect though. The is where you can find everything about me and what I offer.
0: That's great. So thank you. Um. This You're has welcome. been a really amazing conversation. Um. Well, I'll add all the links to the show notes and thank you for listening.
1: Yeah. Thanks for being here, everyone. Nice to meet you.
0: Oh my God, I love doing this interview. Ellie is such a huge inspiration and she's doing an amazing job, like insanely amazing. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did and I talk to you again next week. Until then, have a great day.